that we can know God through, but the main the main avenue that God has given us that we could know Him is through the Word of God. Um, even things like um, like words of knowledge, prophecies, all that. Everything that we do has to be lined up with the Word of God. If it's not lined up with the Word of God, then it's rejected. And it doesn't matter how many goosebumps it gives you, how, how, how it makes your hair stand up, how, how, how it makes you feel. The, the litmus test that we do for everything, the, the test that we as believers put on everything is does it line up with the Word of God? And uh, so because the Bible is, again, what God has given us so that we could know Him, that we could, and and God gave it to us for that purpose that we could know Him. And you know, it's like the world. It's like, oh, if only there was some way that we could know God. Well, there is a way that we can know God. Um, you know, it's through His Word. Um, and the main the the problem with uh, most of the people in the world that we don't understand Him because there are people even at, at colleges and schools of higher learning that study the Bible but they don't know God through the word. And so if you don't if you don't come into that relationship with him, then his word's not going to make any sense to you anyway. So the first step obviously and again we know all that is is coming into that relationship with him in the first place. Once we've entered into that relationship with him, then he sends his holy spirit to begin to teach us and to show us his word and to um, give us understanding of it. Um, so the Bible was written over 1,400 years, um, over 40 authors, three languages, uh, shepherds, kings, fishermen, prophets, cupbearers. Um, contrast that with the Book of Mormon that was written by one person. You know, um, and the thing the thing that's awesome about the Bible is that even though it was written over like a 1,400 uh, year time of span. There's no major disagreements in it. Everything ties in together. It all it all complete it all forms a complete whole, and um, so that's that's the awesomeness of the book. I mean, you look at the Book of Mormon, and there's discrepancies in it and things like that, and and uh, yeah. So it's just that is the awesomeness of the Bible, uh, and. Just like everything in the Christian faith, there, there are people that there, we're surrounded by a world that tells us that the Bible's not true, right? We're surrounded by people that are always, they look down on the Bible, they look down on the things of God, and they say, well, this doesn't true, this can't be true. And the first thing that they say to you is, prove it to me, right? Well, the problem, the, the thing that I say to them is, well, you prove it to me that it's not true. Because the thing is, is the Bible and everything with Christi within Christianity from, from, from the first minute of our walk until the time that we, we step off of this earth, everything is by faith. Um, it can't be proved. It has to be believed. And when you, walk in, when you walk by faith and you step into that place of faith and you step into that place of where you are believing what it says, then you begin to see it. Does that make sense? Then it becomes real. Then you begin to, to participate in, in the things of God. Um, but again, the world says, well, show me, prove it. And, but there's no way that you can prove the Bible empirically to, to anyone. It's, again, it's something that has to be received by faith. And at the same time, they cannot disprove the Bible. 
And throughout the centuries, from, from the very beginning, even in the Garden of Eden, Eden, the, um, the enemy has tried to disprove God's Word. It's just like when Satan said to Eve, has God truly said? And from that point on, throughout the whole history of mankind, from um, to this point now, they have been trying to disprove the Word of God. But they can't disprove it any more than they can force us to prove it, right? Um, again, the Bible has to be taken by faith, but it doesn't have to be a blind faith. So, part of what we're going to be talking about today is how we can believe that the Bible's true, right? Because there are evidences. It's just like, you know, and this is kind of a lame, lame um, example, but it's just like the wind. You can't prove that the wind's there, but you can feel the wind, right? You can't prove, I cannot say right now, I cannot guarantee you that in the morning the sun's going to rise, but we're pretty sure that the sun's going to rise. Mm -hmm. So these are things that we accept. These are things that we believe by faith. We believe that God is true. We believe that the Word of God is, that His Word is true, and it is true. And we've seen the, the we've seen um, the we have seen the evidences in our life when we walk it out. And that's how the Bible works. Um, again, there's no point in your life as a believer from, from the beginning to the end, there's not a point in your life when you're not going to have to walk by faith. This walk that we walk, I mean, you look at the life of Abraham. So many times, I mean, God, God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He left not knowing where he was going. He was going by faith. Um, God told him, you're going to be the father of many nations. You know, he, he, by faith, he had to do, do all these things. The same way with us. There's many times in our lives, and it's not just one time, it's not just many times, it's all the time that we're, every single day, we're going to have to get up and we're going to have to walk in faith, believing what God says in His Word. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Um, the Bible, there is no book in the history of mankind that has been as scrutinized as the Bible. Um, again, as soon as as soon as the first book was, as soon as the, uh, God spoke in the Garden of Eden, the enemy was already there trying to disprove it, saying God didn't really say that. God didn't really mean that. You don't have to believe it. And the same thing is happening today, and it's gone on throughout history. And we are the people who stand and choose to believe that this word is true. Not only because we just believe it, but because of the things that we've seen in our lives. Um, and the, again, there's no, there's no major doctrinal differences. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk a little bit about um, how the Bible came to us. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. Or verse 17. This was Jesus speaking. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Um, these papers that I gave you are kind of examples of, of Hebrew writing. And again, this is the Bible that they had to go on. Um, some of the discrepancies that people will point out in the Bible and say, well, the Bible is in error here because there are discrepancies. Most of the discrepancies that they're talking about are errors in the way that the scribes would copy 
the, the scriptures down. Does that make sense? Because the Bible, um, back in the day, back in the ancient times, we, they didn't have copy. They didn't have printing presses, right? They didn't have copy machines. So the Bible, in order for the Bible to be spread, they had to copy everything by hand. Does that make sense? So they copied the scribes. They had scribes that their entire job was to copy the Bible. And the way that they would do it is they would, they would um, like Jesus said, not the stro smallest stroke or... Or, or the smallest letter will pass away. Their job wasn't like, say, if we were going to copy a book today, we would do like, okay, there's an A there, so you'd write an A. There's, a, there's the word light there, so I'm going to copy that. What they would do is they would take the parts of the Hebrew letters like, like you see on that paper, and they would copy them um, kind of brush stroke for brush stroke. Does that make sense? Like by strokes. So kind of like what he was saying, right? Like by strokes. Right. Yeah. And so when there's errors, a lot of times when people, when scholars are talking about the errors that are in the Bible, what happened is a scribe would make the brush stroke a little bit off, and because it's a little bit off, it could change the word. Does that make sense? Um, even in the Greek Bible, like, um, you know, the, the scriptures in Revelation where it talks about the number of the beast is 666? Right? In some manuscripts, it says the number is 616. And again, it's simply because one of the scribes that was copying it, either the copy that he had was wrong or he copied it wrong himself. That's terrifying because the book of Revelation specifically says like, not to change the, any words from that book. Right. Or, well, or, or, but that's essentially the whole Bible. But, and that's the thing. Their focus was that I mean, they were very careful. They had the fear of the Lord. Yeah, they were very careful, and they they did everything that was in their their um, capabilities to try to get it right. But being human beings, they made mistakes sometimes. So how do you balance that out? With? Well, the way that you balance it out is you take all the other manuscripts, and you look at what it says in all of them. And so you know by the vast majority, okay, it's 666, right? in all the vast majority, and there's only a small minority of ones that do the 616. So obviously, what they were trying to do was the 666. So when they translate it into our English Bibles, what they're doing is taking several manuscripts, and you're saying they're taking the one that has the majority agreement. Right. And Right. And so, again, a lot of times when, when scholars are pointing out that there's errors and things like that, what they're talking about is stuff like that. Because there aren't doctrinal errors, right? There's not problems where, where, um, where, where God will say one thing here and then... Virgin birth, Right, right. Yeah. The virgin birth is the virgin birth. It's not, you know, it's, it, it can't be doubted or mistrusted or anything like that. Does that make sense? So it's more like the eight, you know, maybe like something off where maybe a name is slightly off or an at or a V or something. That right, like and it's usually parts idea. parts of a letter rather than the a thought or a concept. Okay, okay. How's that? Yes. Okay. Okay, okay turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. So this, this teaching today is not going to be kind of as like some of the other ones. This is going to be more technical and uh, kind of a little bit more difficult to kind of get across. But, but the point that we're trying to get across is that the Bible is trustworthy. And that we as believers, we're not just taking it by blind faith. There is evidence to believe that the things that are in it are true. Um, over these, It was written over, over 
1400 years they were copied meticulously I mean think about um, books and the way that they're circulated now like say if there's a, a certain book on a subject like you can you can print out a hundred thousand of them easy right for them they had to print page by page word by word letter by letter stroke by stroke and so in order to circulate them and that's why there will be some mistakes because there were thousands of copies with them also I mean, not as much as, say, like today with our books and things like that, but there were, there were an abundance of copies of the Bible around. They were readily available. Probably, I'm, I'm not sure that they were enough that the common man would have one, but they were definitely out there. So, think about the multitudes and multitudes of handwritten copies that there were, and yet without mistake, virtually. Um, in the, when you guys have all heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Um, I think they found them in the 40s, something like that. But when they found them, they found a copy of the book of Isaiah that was a thousand years older than any copy that they had already had. And when they matched it up with the ones that they already had, I mean, it's virtually almost identical. And so, again, this is the trustworthiness. And these guys, when they made, when the scribes, when they made the copies, they understood the responsibility that they had. They understood what they were doing wasn't just copying some book, but it, they were copying the Word of God. So they were very careful, and I mean, it was their living. The fear of God. Yeah, and it was it was it was something that they. Um, I've heard stories about how like they would copy a brushstroke, lay their pen down, and start and pray, you know, and things. So it was it was something that they didn't take lightly. It was something that was very important to them. Second um, Peter one verse two. I think also like whenever they copied the name for God, mm -hmm. I know that they'd get a new pen, mm -hmm. and then they'd get what you know that little one with that. I can't remember. Some probably even went out and changed clothes and like all that. I yeah. can't remember the story, but that's mm -hmm. at any time that God's name was written, they took meticulous care. Yeah, wow, that's cool. It's awesome. Okay, Second Peter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His excellence. So the Bible, again, is a book that when we understand it, I believe that there's nothing that we can't, nothing that we experience that we don't won't understand won't know what god you know what i'm saying what god feels about that say um, i was just thinking of, of a, an example like say like marijuana okay you might say well there's nothing in the bible that talks about marijuana well the bible does talk about not being drunk mm -hmm. but being filled with the holy spirit right so i mean even though so it's not Addressing, addressing marijuana per se, it is addressing being affected by, by influences and by substances that, that impair you, mm -hmm. right? So everything, the Bible contains everything that we as believers need to live both just in our normal, mundane, everyday lives and also everything that we need for godliness, Everything that we need to be shaped into the image of Christ, everything that we need to live our lives is in the Word of God. 
The problem is, is that a lot of us are going to the Word of God. A lot of us do what we feel is right rather than seeking seeking the Word of God and seeing what's right, seeing what's in the Scriptures. Um, the Bible claims over three thousand times the Bible claims for itself to be the Word of God. Now, that enough is not proof because just because something says that it's something doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Um, Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that, that scripture where it says all scripture is inspired by God, literally that means God breathed. Right? So, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Now, it's up for us to decide either it is or it's not. Right? If it's not, then Christianity is not true. Right? Because as believers, one of the fundamental things that we believe is that the Bible is A, true, and B, the Word of God. And C, it's something that we can live our lives by knowing that we have full assurance in. So it is, it is, there are certain things that as believers we believe. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that it's true. Amen? And this is the thing that separates us from other religions. Um, turn to Second Peter 1. Along those lines... Um, oh, we just read that. Sorry. No, you didn't. Or did you? Yeah. Uh -huh. oh. um, along those lines, um, when they wrote all Scripture, did they mostly just have the Old Testament too? Yeah, they did. Um, that They had mostly the Old Testament, but... Peter, also in 2 Peter, uh, I think it's chapter 3, talks about the writings of Paul as being Scripture also. Right. So, I'm, I'm not... I'm saying that because a lot of people say the Old Testament is not for us anymore. Right. It doesn't apply to us at all. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, definitely. The, Jesus Jesus believed in the Old Testament. All the all the people in the New Testament, That's that was their Bible. Um, yeah. So... Um, In Matthew 5, Jesus said that, He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And in Matthew 4, when Satan came to tempt Jesus, Jesus used the word to counter it, right? Jesus said, the, uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So, again, the Bible claims that it's the word of God. Jesus believed that it was the word of God. And so these are, again, these are proofs that we look at and these are things that we begin to shape a picture. We begin to shape a whole and we begin to see that, okay, so this can be trusted. This, this is verifiable. Uh, we know that Jesus existed. We know that the Bible and the things that are in the Bible existed because there are even outside sources that talk about them. Josephus talked about Jesus and Josephus wasn't even a believer. So, um, these things are well known historically. Turn to John chapter 17. Verse 
John 17, verse 14. Jesus was, this is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Look at this in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And Psalm says the sum of God's word is truth. Mm. That's, That's good. good. Where's that? Uh, Psalms. Uh, the sum of God's word is true. The sum of God's word. That's awesome. A lot of times, like, I think I'm it's 119, isn't cherry it? Pick and, uh -huh. and I'm like, well, we have to look at this verse too because mm -hmm. the sum of God's word is true, not just right. part of it, mm -hmm. which goes along well with that all scripture is inspired by God and yeah. applicable for teaching. Also, like the verse that says, um, by two or three witnesses, every every yeah. So yeah. like. Every, like each you time something, something is something yeah. Else. Hmm. yeah that's good because there's you know people who mock and are like well there's contradictory but there's not like mm -hmm. you just have to keep studying right, right. yeah and that's the and thing understand that's the thing a lot of times when we don't understand it's because we haven't studied the whole thing. There are other scriptures that tie into what we're studying that, that we haven't studied or or it's just misunderstandings which is when you know, a lot of when you're trying to witness to an atheist and stuff, they'll say things like they'll major on the little minors you were talking about before, like little strokes that just change like a single word or something in one manuscript, but not all of them. Mm. Or they'll major on what Megan said is that what's well, contradictory, but they're, they're coming from the perspective of not reading the whole Bible. You know, no. they, they've just heard, oh, well, there's contradictory things in the Bible. But they haven't really studied it for themselves to find that it doesn't really contradict it. Just you don't, you're not reading the whole mm -hmm. thing, or they don't have a love for the truth, and so yeah. therefore, like they're trying to like reason themselves out of yeah, it. yeah. Um, guess what psalm it's in? One nineteen. It's one nineteen one nineteen one sixty. The sum mm -hmm. of your word is truth, or the sum of. Uh, it's there's different versions. Obviously, but the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Ooh, everlasting is good on that too. It's good. It's like it never ends. Yeah. That's cool. And that, and that's the thing. We all have preconceived notions, and and that's the thing. As believers, we believe that the word is true. Unbelievers believe that the word is not true, and so, you know, there's there's always going to be that, and it comes down to me believing that it's true. Despite what anyone says, because I've experienced, it's like, it's like anything. Once you've experienced something, it's just like the song says, I once was blind, but now I see. It, you know, and it's like, once you've experienced something, it doesn't matter what anyone says, because yeah. now you know what the truth is, and now it doesn't matter what anyone says. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The Bible's the best-selling book ever, ever, that's best-selling book ever. It's been read by more people, translated in more languages than any other, any other written book. Um, again, it's historical. Things, things that are in the Bible have, can be proved by um, archaeology. And, um, I don't know if you have this in there, but also it can be proven a lot by fulfilled prophecy. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of fulfilled prophecy right. in the Word. Like, 
prophecies that were given hundreds of years prior to their fulfillment. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit. But yeah, like even some of the archaeological evidence, like uh, for the longest time, like archaeologists said that David didn't exist. The what? The David did not exist. Really? Yeah, and then they found like uh, like what they call a steel, which is basically a, a rock that they carved uh, inscriptions on and stuff. It's called the Dan steel, and it says it talk and on that it talks about the house or the dynasty of David. Um, many years, the people said that the book of Daniel can't be true because there wasn't a Babylonian king named Belshazzar, and then they found what was called the Nabonidus cylinder. Which, which named him by name. They didn't believe that uh, Caiaphas existed, and then in 1990 they found what's called the Caiaphas ossuary. Basically an ossuary is like after a person was died, they would put their bones in it and stuff. Um, they didn't believe Pilate existed, and then in 61 they found a, uh, an inscription in a Roman amphitheater in Caesarea Maritime that had his name on it. And that's the thing. Archaeology, instead of... Ar no archaeological fact has ever disproved any biblical fact. Mm. However, time after time and after time, uh, archaeological finds that they've found have proven that the Bible is true. Mm. Um, they used to say that the Pool of Siloam didn't exist, and they found that. Mm. I mean, all the time over in, the, over in Israel and the Holy Land or whatever, they're always digging up new things that prove that what the Bible said was true. So instead of disproving it, and believe me, a lot of archaeologists are, are non-believers and they would love to disprove the Bible. Matter of fact, that is kind of the goal of, of a lot of them is to disprove the Bible. So that's what they do. That's why they do what they do. But instead of disproving it, a lot of them are, are finding it to be true. It's just like, uh, what, what was his name? Lee Strobel? He was a he was a lawyer, and he set out to disprove Is that the case. The for Bible, yeah, mm -hmm. the case for Christ. He set out to disprove that the Bible was was false. But the more he read it, the more he found that he couldn't disprove it. He couldn't explain it away. So again, um, archaeologists has always worked on the side of of what we believe, because instead of disproving things, they always they always prove what the Bible says is true. Um, Again, fulfilled prophecy, like you were saying. Um, turn to, let's see, Jeremiah chapter 25. This part's a little more interesting, I think. And the reason why I'm teaching this is before we get into how to study the Word is, again, we have to have a foundation. You have to have a foundation for what you believe and to know that, you know, what I'm believing is not just blind faith, but what I'm believing, there are, there are structures to it. There are reasons to believe what, what we believe. And it's not just this, you throw faith at the wall and it sticks to the wall. It's something that there are concrete things and everything points, everything. It's just like the Bible talks about how, how the, all of nature points to, to God. Right? All of, I think that's in Romans 1, but it talks about how even the creation um, speaks of God. 
But the point, the problem is, is that most of us, a lot of us are looking in the wrong places and we're not looking for God. And God is speaking. God is speaking all the time. God is speaking to us all the time. God is always speaking. And, but the problem is, is we're not always hearing. Matter of fact, most of the time we're not hearing. And that's the difference between a spiritual person or a person that's just about the things of this world, about living this life, getting, getting a job, getting a raise, getting a car, getting a house, getting all these things and living for the things of this world because the man that's physical and living for this physical world is not tuned in to listen to what God is saying. And that happens in the church a lot too because we in the church a lot of times we're focused about the same things. We're seeking the same things and there's nothing wrong again with having any of that. There's nothing wrong with getting some of that but when that's your goal and that's your focus and you're focused on this stuff that's not going to last then we're not going to look for the things of God because God hides himself in plain view. God is all around us. God is everywhere if you'll just look and see it. But we are looking for other things and we're looking for other, for other loves. In Jeremiah chapter 22, 25, verse 1. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these twenty-three years the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Verse 7, Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Thus, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a, de and a hissing and ev an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light and, and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So Je Jeremiah says, because of your sins, you're going to go into captivity and exile into Babylon. And he says that it's going to be 70 years. Um, now, he wrote that about 20 or 30 years before it even happened, right? And he died before they were released from their captivity. And yet, he prophesied that it was going to be 70 years and it happened exactly as he said. And so this is, again, where, where you're starting to talk about prophecy and the things that were prophecy, 
prophesied happening, and he died 34 years before the people of Israel were released, but he prophesied uh, he prophesied that they were going to be in captivity 70 years. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Is that after Jeremiah? Yeah, it's after. Now this is when they were... Daniel, Daniel is talking... When Daniel was prophesying, it was during the time when the people were in captivity. Right? And then it says in verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of, of medium descent, who was king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, the Bible, the number of the years which was revealed as a word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel saw in the word of God that Jeremiah had prophesied that the, that the length of the captivity was going to be 70 years. Now this was when it was still happening. In verse 3, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in, the name, spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. So, Daniel's, Daniel's pretty much almost at the end of this 70-year period. Okay, so Daniel sees in the Word of God that God is about to release His people. And the thing that I like about Daniel is that instead of just taking that for granted and say, wow, God's fixing to set us free, Daniel begins to seek God yeah. by prayer and by fasting. Yeah. He doesn't just say, woo, we got our, our get-out-of-jail card free. We're, we're fixing to be out of here. He starts seeking God, and he starts doing the things right that they had did wrong that got them put in captivity in the first place. But the main point of this is that Number one, he saw through the word of God that it was prophesied that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. We know from history that if you look at just history as like, just, just as a historian, not a Christian or a biblical perspective, but if you look at history, they were in captivity for 70 years. So that's secular history. Secular history. So the Word of God was fulfilled. And so again, these are things that we look at and we say, hey, the Bible is reliable. The Bible is true. Um, turn to another place in 2 Chronicles 36. Slavery, like American history, is prophesied in the Bible. Uh, I, you know, I I know that. I think that with prophecy, see the thing that I like about that is, it, and let, let's look at this person, and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll talk about that. Second Chronicles thirty-six, verse twenty-two. 
The reason I ask is because it says that nothing is new is under the sun. Yeah, yeah. Just different verses. That I'm like, that's weird. Verse 22, honey? Yeah. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation, proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Wherever there, Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So Cyrus, uh, a man that... He was just a king, right? He was an uh, he was un, an ungodly king. He was the king of the Chaldeans. Uh, he said that according to the prophecy of Jeremiah, he was going to let the people of of, of God go. Um, turn to one more place in Isaiah forty five. So I know we're going through a lot of kind of stuff, but if if you think about these things and just think about just what God did to let His people know what was going to happen, it strengthens your faith. Exactly, and that's what the Word of God does. But if you don't believe it, you're not going to search it out. I wonder if Cyrus didn't want to be the next Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, they did have a big river. Um, Isaiah 45, verse 1. Now, this was 150 years before Cyrus was born. And this is Isaiah prophesying. Verse 1, it says, there, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. This is Isaiah prophesying something that's going to happen in 150 years after this. And using his name? Yeah, using his name. He says, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut the through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Verse 4, for the sake of my servant for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I've given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. Um, look in verse 44. Wow, that's crazy. Oh wait. This there is no 44. But yeah, so uh, again, this was 150 years before this happened. I love how he calls him his anointed one because he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't Jewish or right. following God. And, and the God thing is... Used him to, for the sake of chastising his people. Yeah. You know, for mm. crushing his people. Yeah. I love that. And the thing is, is, is like the kings, basically they would kind of hedge all their bets. They were like, okay, so they would conquer all these nations, they would conquer all these peoples, but they would still let them worship their God. And so basically they're like, well, I don't want to make your God mad. I mean, we believe in our own gods, but we don't want to make your God mad too because he may be real also. So we're going to try to make him happy also. 
And uh, I just think it's awesome. Again, all these, all these things tie together. And this is the Word of God. And this is how we look at prophecy. I mean, we all know about the prophecies of Jesus. There are over 400 prophecies that were prophesied Jesus in the Old Testament and stuff. And we all know about those, so we don't really need to talk about them a lot. But, but again, the Bible is filled with prophecies that came true. And prophecies as specific as saying a certain amount of years, as specific as saying a person's name, mm -hmm. 150 years before he's even born, and saying, God saying, I'm going to raise this man up mm -hmm. to set you people free. Yeah. And stuff. And so this, this is the Word of God. This is the awesomeness of the Word of God. Um, and that's why it's believable. And it's not, you're not just talking about a few, but when you add in the prophecies of Jesus that were hundreds of years right. before, you're talking about probably over 500 to 1,000 or something fulfilled prophecies that can be proven. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the Bible is not something that we take by blind faith. The Bible proves itself over and over again. Um, another thing that, that were eyewitnesses. The New Testament was written pretty much solely by either eyewitnesses who saw things happen or people who knew the eyewitnesses personally, right? Um, Nothing in the uh, New Testament was just written by people. Talking about witnesses just now, um, I think that is, we don't give enough credit, and atheists don't give enough credit to that either, that witnesses are a powerful thing. And if you, if you get just a couple of witnesses in a court of law, it's so powerful that can, it can either convict a person to mm -hmm. death or it can give them freedom. And that's just with a few witnesses. And here, the, and that's, that's the secular world. The secular world recognizes the power of a witness. Mm -hmm. So um, when you can... Especially an eyewitness. When you can condemn someone to death over with a couple of witnesses, how much more should we see the witnesses in the Word of God and the 500 people that saw Jesus rise from the dead and all this? These were people well, that personally... Like, with the resurrection, even the Jews were like testifying to seeing like his resurrection and stuff. Mm. They were like the very opponents of the Christians, you know what I'm saying? Wow, that's good, good. Point. Yeah. Oh, gosh, thank you. Wow, that was good. I did not Real know that. Fire. Yeah, and that, that's, that's the thing. Um, you know, uh, in, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, Scripture we're all familiar with, but Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I'm not like part of the truth I'm not part of the way or I'm not like kind of a, an example of the way or the truth he says I am the truth Jesus embodied truth right and so like these disciples the people that followed him um, it's just like you were talking about the the the, um, the eyewitnesses they saw these things happen they testified to these things and think about it the, uh, these people were being persecuted for what they believed. They were being put to death for the, what they believed. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be put to death for a lie. Amen. Right? right? I'm not going to be put to death for something that I don't believe to be true. These guys not only believed them to be true, but they saw the things. They saw the things happen. The man that they were following was a person who was the embodiment of truth. Um, these people were people who 
who believed in the idea of truth and that everything in your life had to be shaped and conformed to that truth. And just as, say, if the things that happened to them, if they were happening now, uh, people came to you later, they would try to get you to say, well, are you sure that you saw what you saw? Are are you sure that you, you maybe you were maybe you were hallucinating maybe you know maybe it didn't happen the way that you thought it did Well if that's the way people do now you know that they were doing that that then then right And that's the thing that's the reason that the New Testament was written You see over and over I am writing to you these things so that you will know So I'm writing to you these things so that you will believe I am writing these things. We are eyewitnesses of these things. We saw them happen. Um, I love how you said like they, they wouldn't die for it. Like you know, like they wouldn't die and, let, and be actually tortured and, and, and watch their families tortured. be tortured. And yeah, turn to Second Peter chapter one. And all of their witnesses agreed too. They weren't like. And that's the thing too is like because like a lot of unbelievers will go, well, how come Matthew's different from Mark? You know, how come, how come like an account, and that's the thing, whenever the people that wrote the Gospels, they wrote them from their point of view, okay? You get 10 people outside, if there was a car wreck, if we're sitting on the front, front porch and we saw a car wreck, there would be 10 different stories of what happened, right? Exactly, and because your perspective is different, and because... And with with the things that Jesus did, maybe your kind of your 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 view of life is different. You know what I'm saying? Because even the disciples, there were zealots, there were fishermen, there were there were you know all kinds of their personalities were different and things like that. So whenever you read something that's a shade different, like in a different gospel, you're just seeing someone else's different perspective of the same happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. And maybe it's going to be shaded different. Like sometimes what uh, things would happen and Peter would say, well, it was John that did this. John in his own book would say, well, the disciple that Jesus loved did this or whatever. So again, it's perspective. And it would be the same way if we all witnessed something, our perspectives would be different, but it would be different of the same story. And so what someone does is you take all those perspectives and you put them together right right, right. you don't take those perspectives and rip it apart yeah. and say well because this one's different from this one well then something's not true here or something's not right. right it's all different perspectives of the same thing it's all the truth right, right? which is why it's so important to when you're coming up with doctrine to take the whole of the bible the same thing because you got different people writing it and to bring it all together and it mm. will form a cohesion. Exactly. And it's like in one gospel they'll add something and in a different gospel they, they won't have it there. Well, what do you do? You just throw it out? No. You just add that thing and say that's a part of something that the different person didn't see. Like with the car example, if you're sitting on the porch and I'm inside, you're mm -hmm. showing my so I saw the car come down, my mm -hmm. star's gonna be I heard squealing. Mm -hmm. And if somebody mm -hmm. walked up on the scene later or didn't mm -hmm. think any of that was important, the cops said this, you know. Yeah. They may start with yeah. the place we're here mm -hmm. and give the story from that perspective. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, second Peter one, verse sixteen. 
Let's start in verse four, verse thirteen. I consider it is it right as long as I am up in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is in, imminent. In other words, Peter's like going, I'm I'm about to die. Um, knowing that the my that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, and also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So again, and, and again, these people believed that lying was a sin. They believed if you lie, you go to, to hell, right? So again, these are not people. These were people that were known for their honesty. These were people that were known for their integrity. And, and these are the people that gave us the Word of God. And so again, this is the reliability of the Word of God. It's not just something that's, that's just kind of... Um, just kind of random. These are things, God put these things there for us to instruct us, to teach us, to strengthen us, and to make us into the people that He wanted us to be. And it's all there. Um, I think about these, uh, I don't, you guys have probably seen, like there's movies, right, where, where like this scientist hears this, this um, like receives a radio signal from outer space and it's like, like some alien trying to contact them, right? I mean, you guys have seen those movies, right? And uh, and so, you know, basically, there's there's these movies where there's these these beings with a far greater far greater intelligence and capabilities. They came to this planet from either a really really great distance or maybe just another dimension as close as your breath, right? Um, says. They, they taught the primitive peoples how to farm, how to build, how to, how to make great monuments such as the pyramids. They taught them languages, both written and spoken. And, and suddenly a scientist finds through like some radio waves or something sent from space that, that this being's been trying to contact the people of this planet. And that the problem is, is that we just don't understand the language or we just don't understand how, how, to, how to take what we're hearing and, and make it relevant and make it understandable. Um, and see, pretty much, that's the story of God. You know, it's just like Paul, when he was in Athens, he saw all these idols to these, un, uh, to these foreign gods and stuff, and he saw this one that said, to an unknown God. And again, these guys were trying to hedge their bets. We're going to worship all these gods, and just to make sure we get them all, we're going to make this one idol to this unknown God. And Paul says... You don't understand that, he said, basically, God is near you. And that if you seek for Him and you grow for Him, He will be found by you. And you don't understand that this idol to this unknown God, I know who this unknown God is. And He's the God that created everything in the universe. He created you, and He wants to be known by you. And that's the same with us. It's funny because the people in the world, they watch these shows and they're totally missing it. Because God, and it's true, there's a being, the only thing that they're missing is the holiness and righteousness of, of God, of this being. 
Because God is every bit of that. He is more advanced than we can possibly imagine. He is trying to contact us. He, he came to this planet. He created it. He, he gave it to us. And He said, go. Make it, uh, you know, uh, till it. Uh, prosper it. Um, go. Be fruitful. Multiply on it. He gave Adam. He told Adam, name the animals. Cultivate the ground. Basically, God creates it. And He says, I want to see what you come up with. I want to see what you come up with the creation that I've given into your hands. And God is speaking to us and He's speaking through us through His Word. But the problem is, is we're not listening. And His Word is out there. His Word is speaking to us, but we've got more important things that we've got to do. I mean, think of that. Think if that actually happened and, and scientists heard like some voice from outer space somewhere from millions of, 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 of miles away. They heard this voice. They would drop everything that they're doing to listen to that voice. They would stop doing everything that they were doing so that they could communicate with that and that they could learn and find out who it was that was behind that voice. But yet... God is speaking to us and we can't stop what we're doing. We can't take the time to seek Him. We can't, we can't shut the things out of our lives that are stopping us from hearing His voice and finding out what, who He is, what He wants from me, why He's trying to communicate to me. And God is like that. God is trying to communicate with us. He's trying to speak to us and He, is, he, is, he has made Himself known. And He has made Himself readily available to each one of us, and yet our Bibles sit on the bookshelves and they just gather dust. And the only time that we bring them down a lot of times is when we, we go to church. A lot of us, that's our extent of the Word of God. We never study it. We, we only receive what we, we receive from the preacher or whatever. We don't study it for ourselves. God created you and I to know Him. Everything else, and you know, there's, there's that psalm that says, teach us to number our days so that we can know how transient we are, mm -hmm. how short our lives are. Everything that we are chasing after, everything that we are so, so caught up in, and so, you know, the clothes and, the, and the, all the things, and all the things are just things. They're going to fade away. And everything that we do and everything that we seek means nothing unless it's finding that voice that is searching for us. Because that voice is looking for you. That voice is looking for us. And until we connect with that voice, until we make that connection, there's always going to be a void in our hearts. There's always going to be an emptiness. And we'll never know the purpose for what God has created us for. And that's, God has created each one of us to know Him. And that's what His Word is for. And His Word can be trusted. His Word is reliable. And His Word is free to each one of us. There was a time... When believers couldn't read the Word for themselves. There was a time when you couldn't study the Bible. You had to go to your priest. And he would tell you, this is what the Bible means. And the thing, problem is, is a lot of us, that's what we do now. We go to church so that the preacher can tell us what the Bible means. Multitudes of reformers died, were burnt at the stake, were killed, were tortured so that 
you could have this Bible in your lap. And it's because they saw the value of what it was. They saw it for what it was. It's beyond just a book with words on it. But it's if, 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 if we will open that book and let those words into our hearts, they will transform us. And they will change us. And if we allow ourselves to be changed on an individual basis and we come together, then the change begins to... just exponentially grow, right? And that change begins to affect the world, that change begins to, 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 to change the world. And the problem is, is that we are not allowing the Word to change us. We are changing the Word to see, suit our needs. If we don't like something in the Bible, we just take it out. Or if we don't like, you know, if we don't like things that the Bible talks about, we just ignore them. Or we just, we just uh, act as though they don't exist. The Bible is here to change us into the image of God. And if we read it, if we study it, it will do that. And that's when the church of God begins to do that, then it, it's going to change the world. Amen? Mm -hmm. That's all I got.